Good evening, dear listeners, and welcome to Once and Future Grinnell, heralded by this grand tune by Henry Purcell, played by the Academy of Ancient Music um, from the the trumpet tune from the King Arthur Suite. Um, As you'll see, that will be an appropriate and wonderful connection to our show uh, here every Wednesday evening on uh, Mixler K. Dick, uh, the Grinnell College radio station. So it's my pleasure to introduce myself. My name is Ann Harris. I have the honor of serving as the president of Grinnell College, and I'll be with you for the next hour and joined by two very special guests this evening as we discuss the strategic planning principle of educational excellence and continuity. We are now well into our radio broadcast series, which is taking on each of five strategic principles that are shaping conversations at the college. And I'll get into all sorts of different things here in this in these first kind of introductory 10 minutes um, before we engage in our conversation with our wonderful guests. So it's important to me to always introduce this concept because, um, well, there aren't too many strategic planning radio hours um, out there on the airwaves. So this is really an opportunity for me to think with treasured colleagues and students to think with you, dear listeners, um, and to invite you to share your thinking with me. You can do that at any time by writing to president at grinnell.edu. And really we are in this wonderful, prolonged conceptual stage of our work in strategic planning where we are articulating these principles and then we'll be working over this over the fall really into moving them into different strategic initiatives so it's really important um, and actually it's one of the I guess I would say they're all strange gifts of the pandemic. There have been so many losses in the pandemic, but one of the gifts of this pandemic has been that we haven't immediately moved into um, initiatives and projects for strategic planning because we are just doing fine, keeping things going. Uh, We don't need to do more right now, but it is so restorative and wonderful to think into the future um, of Grinnell College. So this radio broadcast is really designed for students and alums and friends of the college. Um, We also have had town halls with faculty and staff. And again, we're in that exploratory mode of thinking about strategic planning. So what I wanted to do in these these first minutes, and they go very, very fast, um, these first minutes of introduction, it's important to me always to explain the title of this broadcast and why I think about um, strategic planning in the ways that I do. Uh, And then we'll move into, again, this wonderful, wonderful conversation that, that awaits us. So I wanted to explain the title of Once and Future Grinnell. Um, as, I, as I say every week, I could have called this the Strategic Planning Hour, but I really um, wanted something a little more poetic um, to bring us together. So Once and Future Grinnell alludes to uh, a pretty terrific uh, book called The Once and Future King by T.E. White from 1953, which itself is based on a 15th century work by Sir Thomas Mallory called La Morte d'Arthur, Um, which chronicles the life of King Arthur. And this is the King Arthur of legend with the round table, with uh, Queen Guinevere, with the knight Lancelot off in the distance, wooing Queen Guinevere, all the intrigue that seems to make its way quite insistently into modern modern American film um, to this day. It's something that has seized our imagination. The Once and Future King, the novel by T.E. White, is actually one of a series of novels that chronicle King Arthur's life, and it's the one dedicated to his education. And it's his education, um, unbeknownst to him, uh, that will turn his life around, that will completely uh, get him to discover himself, to, to rethink the world, to look at everything differently. And part of that is because his educator is the wizard Merlin. So this always allows me to um, consider our incredible faculty and staff and their wizardry and the way that they open up discovery and open up knowledge and open up identity and selfhood um, when they learn and teach with students. And I say that because, um, as we'll discuss today, it's a highly collaborative way of learning the liberal arts college model. So in calling the show Once in Future Grinnell, I really want to highlight 
just how much education and, and knowledge and selfhood are deeply interconnected um, to focus on this, this power of discovery that is education. And of course, the collaborative nature of education. There's, it's not transactional, right? It's highly, highly relational. And also, also, I love the sentence structure once in future um, because it highlights how we might think about strategic planning in terms of looking, you know, once the moment now, the moment in the past and future. Thinking into the future of an institution is a marvelous, wonderful, daunting thing to do. Um, and yet every, every new president is charged in, in many ways now, especially, um, and I'll explain that in a second, but is charged with giving a framework for thinking into the future of the institution. And I'm building that framework with you all this spring. Um, so a framework made up of principles is a, is a pretty solid way, I think, to think through um, or think into the future. Thinking into the future doesn't mean predicting what's going to happen. It means starting to articulate those principles, those values that will guide the necessary decisions that are coming in a tumultuous world. And of course, for me to say that to you all at the, in this particular moment, let's call it that, we're not gonna call it the end yet, but in this particular moment of a pandemic, in this particular moment of racial reckoning in American society, in this particular moment of legislative flux um, and political flux in American society is a really powerful thing to do. And I, I'm a firm believer in the profound connection between um, education and democracy um, and of Grinnell College's role in that connection with many wonderful stopping points, including governance, including community, including civil society, um, and yes, building all the way into our democracy, this global democracy that shares its vision with so many different kinds of citizens. So um, <laughs> my introductory time is drawing very rapidly to a close, but I, I want to, um, really underscore how conceptual this period is that we're in now. So this is why you won't necessarily hear me. We'll talk about case studies, I'm sure, but we're not going to be talking about specific initiatives at this point. We're gathering ideas. And here's the dynamic that I always think about. Shared information, shared understanding, shared ambitions. And I like that evolution. Oh, I don't know if that's the word. I like that, that um, connection between information, understanding, and ambition because it seeks to valorize all the different contributions that go into an institution like Grinnell College, um, an institution of liberal arts education. It takes the students' vibrancy and the faculty's commitment and the staff's commitment and the expertise and experiences of all of them to work together. And indeed, the model that we're using of strategic planning is one called collective impact. It comes from the world of um, it comes from the world of uh, nonprofit organizations, and in that world. Of course, nonprofits operate very, very much through coalition building. And it's strange to say that an organization as, quote, small as Grinnell, certainly compared to other much bigger institutions of higher education, it might be strange to say that a small institution like ours is made up of multiple organizations. And yet I believe that it is. When you think about Grinnell College, it is a society made up of multiple different experiences and multiple different talents and expertise and um, and and behaviors and practices. I love that word practice. And so when you think about students and their role and alumni and their role, of course, faculty and staff and administration and friends of the college and granting agencies, you know, all of these, all of these entities that pour their energy into this incredible place, you start to, to realize, I think, the aptitude of the collective impact model. So this is why in these broadcasts, I have gathered with faculty, with staff, with students, um, and we're gonna be making a pitch to bring alumni onto the show as well. I've got some invitations out that will help with that. So then the last thing I would say to you, dear listener, um, is that we are working our way through these five principles. The first is community. 
Um, and the Grinnellian distinction on community really has to do with governance. We had wonderful conversations um, about that. Now we are exploring educational excellence and continuity. And as you'll see, um, we're going to be working around the individualized curriculum, right? Grinnell College um, made a decision 50 years ago not to have uh, uh, general education requirements. Instead, the academic trajectory is created by the student in collaboration with faculty, staff, advisors. Um, it's a really, really marvelous, uh, agentic model, a model that really prizes agency. Um, and we're gonna talk about the labor that that takes. We're gonna talk about um, what what kind of relationships um, are created out, out of this particular educational model. Um, the third strategic principle is diversity, equity, and inclusion, which really focuses very much on, on um, understanding identities and context within um, an institution like ours. There are, there are 62 languages spoken at Grinnell College, as I have found out. Um, there are 50, almost all 50 states are represented. And so um, when we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, when we talk about it within the, the, the anti-racist, I would say, not just, of course, moment, but momentum in higher education. We're going to be exploring what that means. Um, health and well-being, and um, you'll see that there are some connections between actually educational excellence and health and well-being as well. We want to talk about that. Uh, and then the last strategic principle is financial sustainability. And that, of course, means thinking into the future of the institution, um, wanting it to remain and remain accessible um, and remain, I think I'm just gonna use the word wonderful for multiple generations to come. That's a wonderful thing to think about. So educational excellence and continuity is a strategic principle that I have subtitled how we create and share knowledge. And the we here is very expansive. It is faculty, it is staff, it is students, it is alumni, um, it is administration. We create a tremendous amount of knowledge. And of course, the impact of that knowledge comes when it is shared. Um, and so what I, what I'd like to do, I had I had kind of different um, subcategories in my thinking about strategic planning, but we're going to focus on a couple of them with our wonderful guests this evening. And so it's going to be my pleasure um, to introduce them briefly and then to have them introduce themselves um, as well as we enter into this really, really uh, welcome conversation. I will tell you, we, we prepare um, our discussion just a little bit. I ask them, uh, I ask my guests to um, identify for me the kinds of questions that they'd like to investigate more fully in our conversation. Um, and then they write, there's some back and forth on email. And I just love Grinnell so much because only at Grinnell would you have footnoted emails with references um, for books to read for further co consideration. So uh, without further ado, then I'd like to introduce Dean Joyce Stern, Dean of Academic, of uh, Dean of Student Success, um, and then Ashton Aveling, who is the Student Government Association Vice President for Academic Affairs. And I'd invite you both to um, introduce yourselves a little more fully with how many years uh, you've been here, um, one of the things you'd want people to know about Grinnell College, and then Ashton, I'd be very um, uh, curious to know your major or majors as well. That'd be terrific. So um, Joyce, I'll turn it over to you for introductions. Thank you so much, Anne. Um, I'm really honored to be with you. This is gonna be a fun conversation. So um, Joyce Stern, I use she, her pronouns. I work in the office called Academic Advising. I've been with the college uh, in a staff position since 1999. Wow. And, uh, and I'm an alum too, so I guess I'm one of your first alum guests. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so there you go. Um, but I really uh, have enjoyed, I just thoroughly enjoyed being able to work um, at Grinnell. I love my student years, but but um, working here is a joy. And to know about Grinnell, I, I'm, I'm just in awe at, at our students who have thrived through this pandemic, um, mm -hmm. despite all kinds of odds, um, and our faculty and staff really who've, who've <laughs> met the challenge in so many different ways. So uh, at every turn, I just feel like Grinnell su can surprise me, right? You work for somewhere 20 years and there's still a, something new around every corner. So oh, I'm happy to share this time with Ashton too. Terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, Ashton, how long have you no, been at Grinnell? 
That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I got here in fall of 2018, so I am now at third year. Um, my name is Ashton Aveling. I study economics. I use he and his pronouns. Um, as Anne said, I was elected by my peers to serve at the Student Government Association's Vice President of Academic Affairs, which is a lot of pressure. Um, what would I want someone to know about Grinnell? I think something that really surprised me coming into Grinnell was the sense of freedom and of responsibility that is placed upon students. The agency to take control over your own education and over your extracurriculars and over the things that you choose to learn, your own time, the relationships that you build, and then work throughout your, the course of your college career to prepare yourself to leave Grinnell and go out into the world and make an impact. Oh, it's powerful, um, and we're we're really gonna we're gonna talk we're gonna delve right uh, quite a bit into that um, because of this idea of and I you know I could have talked about academic excellence and I chose that word educational um, education um, educational excellence and continuity precisely because I love etymologies I love the roots of words and education comes from uh, that wonderful combination of Latin uh, that means to lead out of. And so Ashton, when I hear you say that, and of course the idea is lead out of ignorance, lead out of darkness, lead into something else, um, a world, a changing world, a changed world. And I do think about our education going into our society. Um, and I see that so much in our, in, first of all, in just how deeply engaged our faculty and staff are in national conversations um, of teaching, of pedagogy, of course of curriculum, um, and in how, how very much our students are also involved in research and, and producing scholarship. And I want to give one quick example. I got to know um, Ashton in the spring of 2020. Is that when it was like the very early spring of 2020 um, when he and others were designing a survey about belonging and that kind of I mean, there you were producing knowledge, in fact, right, trying to come up with a framework to understand um, this concept of belonging among the student population. And, and now you're doing more surveys as well. And so I just think about that idea of research and um, inquiry. Uh, and of course, I love the idea of a, of a community of inquiry, right, that we're, that we're always asking questions. And so it's on, it's on these kind of points um, on how we get to our, um, our curriculum, our research, our teaching, that I want to turn to you, Joyce, with some of the interest that you had in, in addressing um, the Grinnell Educational Excellence and Continuity. And this came in response to the question, how do you perceive or experience the relationship between teaching, advising, and mentoring? And this is, yes, the particularity of Grinnell, but it also gives us a chance to just pause and, and stop and think, my goodness, how does an education come together, right? How does it? And I love Grinnell because there is no general education. Many institutions have said, this is how an education come toge comes together. You must have this amount of humanities, this amount of socials, and that's a quote, complete education. There's been an, an existential stripping of that uh, framework at Grinnell. And so it allows us to ask, how does this relationship between teaching, advising, and mentoring make an education? And I would just love to hear your your thoughts um, about that. Based on you had you had given some indications in thinking about pathways and thinking about the, the wholeness of the individual. So I would just love to hear your thoughts on how you see this relationship between teaching, advising, and mentoring. What is it telling us about education at Grinnell and and this particular model of education? Such an easy question, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I love the big questions that you're asking, right? In in anticipation of of diving into what what work we might do next year. Yeah, I, I love one of the th reasons that I really remain excited about working at Grinnell is the is our the openness of our curriculum, right? This individually advised curriculum, and I you know I get a chance to work with our faculty in in their advising thinking about what what academic what what curricular advising looks like right um but also i have always respected the openness of our faculty to understand our students as whole people right to really respect the fact that they're not just educated they're not just sort of walking a brain through <laughs> through a series of courses right they're walking a human through a series of experiences and wanting to help them 
learn from those, um, challenge themselves, right? A really common advising question is, you know, where can we find a course that's gonna that's gonna push you, that take you outside of your comfort zone, um, something new to explore, something that you might not have ever thought of doing before? And um, those are really exciting questions. But I know that students are gaining a sense of self in so many areas of the college, right? Whether it's um, a job that they hold, um, maybe they're actually getting amazing advice uh, from their work study supervisor, the, the, the dining hall supervisor who, who they connect with at every shift and talks about their their life outside of working at Grinnell, raising goats, you know, on a farm and, and what that means to them to understand their work as um, an important part of their growth as a person, right? Um, I, th I feel like students connect with mentors in, in all kinds of different places on campus. And how is students, this actually becomes a research question that I'm very deeply interested in. Um, I had a chance to partner with our institutional research office years ago looking at the second year experience. And I'm curious, really, how do students connect those formal advising moments, right, mm -hmm. with their faculty advisor, with the informal advising moments that they might have with, uh, like I said, a work study supervisor or their mentor in, in intercultural um, student life, as we're calling it now, or um, somebody in the CLS or somebody in our in the office I work with, my amazing colleagues in, in academic advising, right? How are they, how do students navigate all these inputs and reflect and make sense of the experience that they're having and the choices that they're making to to create an educational experience that some, you know, the sum total of what it means to be a yeah. Grinnell student. Well, in your wonderfully footnoted um, email to me, you had talked about the interrelatedness of so many of these strategic principles. And I really loved this point that our individual, individually advised curriculum relates to self-governance. And I really think, again, of, of the very, and I wanted, I, I'm looking forward to doing that strategic thinking about this, this um, claim that the college made 50 years ago that said, we will not tell you what knowledge you must have to consider yourself educated. You will work that out through your relationships, through your experiences. And I like that distinction, like formal advising, and then to valorize that informal advising as well. So here's my tough question for you both um, on, on this work. You've you also, um, Joyce, talked about DEI work being critical to learning um, and and doing some work of placemaking for BIPOC students, for domestic students of color, international students, um, and, and, and other populations that have been marginalized in knowledge, <laughs> in educational experience. And here we are, a, a PWI, a, 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 primary, a predominantly white institution. So here's my tough question for you. Are there, would you say, are there things, conversations, courses, issues like racism that every student should have at the college? And if we operate within this, and I don't know where it comes from in some ways, the, the individualized curriculum, it clearly comes from a place of trust. Right? Trusting that people are going to fashion education for themselves through relationships. It comes from relationships. It comes from these other places. And I am not saying that we start, we have one requirement right now. It's the tutorial. Um, uh, but I, I wonder about things like that. I, do you, either of you, have any anxiety about, are there things that we really would want to be sure are in our education? But because we valorize this kind of trust-based educational model, which is rare in higher ed, how do we navigate those two things when there's real pressure on higher education to take on some issues of, of systemic racism that, uh, that feed into the civil society, which we will shape with our education? And of course, you know, well, I'll be quiet. No, I, I really want to hear your thoughts. <laughs> I can go ahead and get started on this one. This is a really compelling, <laughs> very difficult question. I think something I'd like to push back on a little bit is a necessary dichotomy between trusting people to take agency over their education and compromising on giving them shared knowledge. Because I think mm. that, as you said, Anne, we create shared knowledge as a community. Um, and I think something that is very special and unique to Grinnell 
I speak as someone, so I didn't go to high school. So Grinnell for me is the first real community I've been part of. And something that I noticed here is that students really do take ownership over their own education. And I think taking agency, engaging in this participatory community, building knowledge in an informal setting, I think that is a crucial skill that could be compromised by adding on mandatory requirements, which doesn't mean that we shouldn't do those things. There's costs and trade-offs to everything. But I think that in and of itself, Grinnell's sense of Grinnell's open curriculum, Grinnell's self-governance, this is not a vacuum. Like this is not us just throwing people into the water and being like, okay, learn to swim now. We're not gonna give you any resources. Mm-hmm. This is almost in and of itself this very intentional openness that allows students to build between themselves and between staff and between faculty through their relationships a sense of agency and ownership over themselves, over themselves as a citizen perhaps, not only as a consumer of education. Um, I mean Joyce mentioned that faculty walk a human through a series of experiences as opposed to just imparting knowledge top down on them. And I think that that applies to students too. Like we are walking ourselves through this experience. We are building ourselves. We are making decisions about what to pursue and what to choose and what to integrate. And that doesn't that doesn't come at too high a cost in my view. I think that the freedom that we give people is worth the benefits and worth protecting. I just wrote, I tried to write everything down. I really did. I, I think these terms of ownership and agency and so then the question is what what do we own right and what do we own in that shared space and you're making me think of the of the many spaces of learning at an institution like Grinnell where you're living and learning in community so there's the classroom there's the residence hall there's the town there's all those in-between spaces that I've learned about from Joyce right where so much learning happens whether that's these kind of shared spaces on campus and so I think about um, creating ownership and agency to all those spaces right versus a requirement for you know for for a specific issue but then i think it is beholden on the institution to make visible those important social issues those important um contemporary issues in our society so that students can own i love that own ownership and agency students can seek them out um or they can be readily accessible for conversation. And here I'm thinking of programming, speakers, you know, things like that, um, let alone the curriculum, which is also doing its own work and which, which faculty and, uh, can, can advise to. Joyce, would you have any thoughts on this, on this idea of ownership and, and agency um, and the connection between that and contemporary issues? I agree. I, I agree this is a really, really important question and i think there's probably a lot of ways for us to discuss it further and think about ways to to tackle it you know one of the places that i turn to when i think about what the college has decided our curriculum is right what how have we defined a liberal education and it's it's a little piece in the catalog that i've probably read several dozen times because i ask our faculty when then they're advising first year students to think about this you know in education in the liberal arts and Hmm. sometimes i i wonder if that piece um eloquent as it is um could be a place where we could could look again and decide you know is our inclusive frameworks one of our new is it become our seventh element right of our of how we think about liberal education um I do firmly believe that allowing students a guided, you know, mentored experience and correct and you know constructing their own pathway is really, really important. But I totally agree. I think that there are a lot of uh, folks who who need to understand that there isn't one, there is no one way to navigate this curriculum. Yeah. Um, and there's no one way to learn, and that it is a shared experience among students and faculty and there uh, we we really do have to find new ways to do dei work and like you i, I think what you're hinting at is do we require it right mm-hmm. do we do, do we designate a set of courses that students can choose from and say this is such a high value to us right mm-hmm. we really want you to include one of these things so we go back to having some general education requirements i think it's an interesting thing to consider right um and maybe we back off of it eventually as a way to signal, look, we, we put this out there because it's so important to us as an institution to consider whether or not these are pieces that should be part of each student's curriculum. But 
maybe we then pull back and say, how are you going to do this, dear students, right? <sighs> right. This is something that we would like you, right. we want you to aspire to, right? right? Well, you're pushing me to think about how an institution indicates what it values. And curriculum is certainly one of the ways that it indicates what it values. Um, I also think about programming as another mode of, of value, right? Who, whom do we bring into our community, whether it's for a extended stay of, of five or six days and visiting multiple, you know, you think of something like the Grinnell Prize, when we bring someone here and hopefully we have them stay longer and visit with students and so forth. Um, or, um, or the I, I was just in the Phi Beta Kappa meeting, right? And, and bringing speakers, Phi Beta Kappa speakers to campus. So I think I, this part of our conversation pushes me to think about what are our value systems at the institution and how do we use them to proclaim what we value? And you know, right now, anti-racist work, diversity, equity, and inclusion work is something that is so, we, we <laughs> achingly need it in our civil society. We need legislation. And I mean, we, we, have, we had a, a fraught political process, a fraught de democratic process this time around. And now we have these voting laws um, in states like Georgia and Iowa um, as well that we really need to consider. So I'm, I'm going to be, my takeaway from this is to really think, and I love how we got from the relationship between teaching, advising, and mentoring to how does an institution signal what it values? Um, but I think that's key, right, in, in, in those relationships um, as well, is what, what are all the different structures that we have in place to indicate that something is valuable and worth time and effort and labor um, to engage. And I love this principle that you connected right away, Joyce, with advising, which is challenge. I think that's really terrific. I, that's, a, that's a crisp way for me to think about those advising conversations, right? It's never gonna be a checklist. It's gonna be like, what's gonna, what's gonna challenge you? And of course, one of the things that deeply fascinates me about Grinnell students is that our, our majors indicate that about half the students major in the sciences and the other half in humanities and social sciences, but our enrollments are spread relatively evenly, uh, a third, a third, a third. So that makes me think we have a lot of scientists taking humanities and, and social studies classes as well. And I think that's that's really fascinating. So I had mentioned this this concept that that this part of our conversation has pushed me to think about, which is, what are, the, what are the systems and structures and practices through which an institution indicates what it values and what it would ask its students, faculty, and staff to put their energies into? And this leads me then, Ashton, to your interest in delving into this subcategory of the loving labor of the liberal arts. And this is one of the ways that I think about educational um, excellence and continuity is to acknowledge the labor of an educational model like ours. Um, it's tremendously, when you think of advising, which is part of teaching at Grinnell, it's not considered service. It's part of the teaching portfolio. When you think of the grading that's done, the intense mentoring um, of students in every class, the small class size, all the attention and so forth, that's just the tip, really the tip of the iceberg of this loving labor. Um, I did have colleagues uh, suggest that I also consider this concept of the shared labor of the liberal arts. So I think that's really, really interesting. Um, but I wanna go ahead and, and open, um, open things up to you, Ashton. You had written to me, it's a meaningful choice to commit to a liberal arts education in a world that seems to increasingly demand direct and immediate action. And so any part of that that you'd want to expand upon, I'm very curious to learn more um, about this meaningful choice idea. Um, and, and of course, your own experience would be extremely valuable here too. Yeah, <laughs> that's such a hard question. And I mean, I know you're framing this in what I said, but let me try and give a crack at this. So super brief backstory for me. I was homeschooled. Um, my parents were concerned about the traditional education system and thought that institutionalizing their child, their children, there were four of us, um, might hurt something inside of us, might kind of break our spark. Um, I think there are a lot of people who have been through that who have not had their spark broken that I have met at Grinnell. So, um, parents were perhaps a little bit careful, but I am still very grateful for the choices that they made that gave me the chance to make as many mistakes as I did before entering Grinnell. So because I didn't go to high school, I kind of just bounced around and took community college classes and felt very aimless and like, what do I do? I have no peers. I 
have like scattered friends. I have a theater group, I have a mountain biking group. Um, I don't really know what I'm doing with myself. I don't know if I'm going to go to college or just become a trucker. I have no plans. Um, and then when I was 17, I met some people that were very passionate about nothing in particular. Uh, like they just had this wildly diverse, sporadic set of interests. And one was very passionate about the human spine and about disability um, related to it and how we can design devices to help people live in a better way. Um, and someone else was very passionate about uh, brain chemistry. Um, and someone else was very passionate about vehicle design. And all these people were, all these high school students were talking to me about how they intended to go to college and pursue their interests. And that was just a wild, <laughs> different and unique thing to me. So I was like, okay, these people seem to care deeply. They seem to have a direction in life. I should also maybe think about doing this, which is why I chose to apply to 25 colleges. Um, I think college in general, not having any kind of education is a bit of a red flag. Uh, not having a clear direction can make admissions officers somewhat suspicious of what you've done. So I got into two, I got into Grinnell College and I got into University of California. Um, I visited Grinnell and I was like, okay, this is my place. These are my people. I'm coming here. Um, so Grinnell took a bit of a chance for me. And I think I've tried very hard to, to live up to what it means to be a member of the Grinnell community. Um, but I'm also very aware while I'm here, that Grinnell is not at all independent of the larger power structures that our society exists within. Um, I think that we can see in qualitative, I mean, quantitative evidence from institutional studies that Black students at Grinnell still have self-reported outcomes that are worse than other demographics. We can see that despite a great deal of energy, we do not have the required infrastructure in place to support all students to the level that is needed. And I think that that leads me back to what it means to be an engaged member of the community, what it means to be part of the student government, what it means to be having these conversations is that we can choose to work together to address these problems within our own community as a means of perhaps training for the outside world. I don't know if there's a clear direction for me to go here beyond, I feel like the sense of agency, like choosing to be an engaged citizen, choosing to engage with the political process, choosing to engage with your community through direct, like direct, um, participation in discussions and committees um, in policy as students can do at Grinnell because Grinnell places students on every almost every single important internal college policy committee. Grinnell places students on the committee for student life where, student, where um, people can discuss the student handbook and expectations of students. Grinnell places students on tutorial and academic advising committee where we discuss these basic expectations about what everyone should learn. Grinnell places students on admissions and financial aid. Students are integrated into almost every part of Grinnell and I think that that serves perhaps an undervalued means of training people to what it means to be able to engage in the world and engage in larger issues and not be powerless. Yeah, I, you know, I, um, coalition building is very um, important to me as I think about um, graduates of Grinnell taking their education out into the world and building coalitions around knowledge and around shared information, shared understanding, shared ambition. And so I hadn't thought about the, the governance structure as its own kind of education um, as well. And I, how, how intentional do you think that, do you think that it's seen as an education or do you think that it's seen as, well, this is what it means to be a Grinnell student. You're going to sit on a bunch of committees or how, because that, that's really interesting to me. And, 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 you know, part of what's behind my question is, thinking about this meaningful choice to commit to a liberal arts education is it a meaningful choice to then commit to that kind of i mean that's time and energy and work right that could be i mean most institutions most students wouldn't necessarily do that um do you think it's seen as an educational space or or is it seen as some other kind of space what would you and joyce you've you've worked with so many students over the years um, or is it service, which is such an interesting word um, <laughs> in and of itself, right? Yeah, go for it. I'm going to jump back in, Ashton. I think you've seen a lot more students at Grinnell than I have. <laughs> I would love to weigh in on this, but I'd also love to hear what you have to say first. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm not sure I can leap in students' heads on this particular question, but I I think students are motivated to... Am I getting feedback? I apologize. Anyway, okay. Um, I think students are motivated to join 
in on the work of the college for so many different reasons, right? I, I do feel like Grinnellians in general bring quite a passion to make things better. Um, that's just sort of, it feels to me like a very Grinnellian trait that I've seen in a lot of students. And so it may be purely out of a, a love for the institution and, and wanting to be at a college that is a place that better meets their individual needs or meets the needs of, of constituencies that aren't that aren't being met very well. Um, but recently I've been doing a little bit of reading that's challenging some notions of what how we even define student success, hmm. the assumptions that we might make about how students um, understand or define success. And institutionally, of course, we, we often jump to big metrics like graduation rates and GPAs and you know, but what what does it mean to be getting an education? What what do students particularly value about being at Grinnell that is driving the individual decisions that they make? Right? Is it about gaining leadership skills? Is it very? Is it this individualistic enterprise um, about gaining leadership? Is it about um, self development around? Um, those sorts of factors, or is it more community-minded, right? Is it is it about the institution? Is it about the, their home community? Um, are students engaging in, in other community-related enterprises? And my guess is you're going to get a huge range, which is what DEI work is, right? Like if we if we presume that one type of thing is is the be all end all for Grinnellians, I feel like we've we've gone back to pigeonholing ourselves, right? Yeah. yeah. So. But I do think that absolutely service, the, the kind of work that we do together is is educational, absolutely, you know, in so many different domains at the college. And I, I just think about the intentionality and the kind of um, understanding like, oh, this is what I'm doing, you know, with my time. And this, this is where I think it gets to be very meaningful work. So I'm sitting here looking for something because um, I want to quote it. It's from the book, The Agile College, which is about changing demographics in higher education, uh, which will bring with it, you know, changing values and changing responses from um, higher ed, whether that's about access or um, curriculum or any of the number of things that, you know, that give meaning to what we're doing. So I just really want to pick up on uh, your point, Joyce, of how we define student success, because in some ways this pushes me to think, well, how are we defining education? Of course, we define education primarily in the classroom. We have these indicators, we have grades, a really old system of value, but one that is so deeply entrenched that very few institutions have broken away from it. Um, and of course, grades feed into graduate schools and so forth. But um, but you're so right. We have these indicators like graduation rates, GPAs, and so forth. But we are also seeing in higher education different ways of measuring student success. And one of the ones that I'm really fascinated by is called a social belonging index, the SBI. Um, and St. Cloud University, I believe in Minnesota, uh, is one that runs, yep, St. Cloud State University up in Minnesota is one that runs uh, this uh, 10 item social belonging index. Maybe not coincidentally, they're also the institution that has um, anti-racist practice across the curriculum a really interesting program that they've developed over there. So I think this really opens things up and I'm gonna get back Ashton to your valorizing of you know having students sit on all these different committees at the college because how, again, how we're assessing education is also how we're understanding what is educational in and of itself. And so I'm just very intrigued by your citing students serving on committees as one of these Maybe this is another moment of agency and ownership. And I have to think, I want to think, how can we make the connection between that kind of engagement with the institution and, and belonging? You know, so I'm very intrigued by this social belonging index. I'm gonna be researching it. We're gonna be looking into it because I'd, I'd love to have that instrument here um, as well to understand uh, more of that, of that sense of belonging, that sense of ownership and so forth. But yeah, um, uh, so back to the original question, does serving on those committees, is that an educational moment for you? Are there other educational spaces and moments that you'd want us to be thinking about as well? You yeah, might, oh yeah, I think, good, good. Oh, I'm glad you can hear me. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm actually I'm surprised to hear you ask that about the committees because this this is not something that I've questioned. So like asking me this now, I'm having to think about this. I think I would I would be remiss not to mention the fact that Granola as a community is not cohesive. Like as you mentioned, and we are composed of many different stakeholders and many different demographics, and that leads to divides and to mistrust and to persistent harm inflicted over time. Mm. Um, and I think being able to I mean, these committees are an atomic example. There's many other ways, for instance, student curriculum committee, the, the student educational policy committee is attached to every single, every single division. Um, the student government itself as a largely autonomous self-governing um, body that assists the college and advises students and advocates for students. We have all these components that serve as a larger part of a very, very diverse and very, very active and very, very, I think energetic community. Mm -hmm. um, I think in regards to like the specific question of what what educational purpose does it serve students to be engaged in shaping their own education on a policy level, I think it's really hard to separate the work of the college, like the decisions that are made about the student handbook, about admissions. I think it's hard to separate tutorial and academic advising. I think these things are so intrinsic and integral to shaping the student experience that student participation in them is a means for students to kind of take control over not only their own place within a larger group, but also thinking about their legacy. Like I'm, I was told in my Grinnell admissions brochure that I would be different after leaving and then Grinnell would also be different. So maybe I'm just trying to live up to that. Maybe other students are too. We, see, we come in here and we see, okay, this is an amazing community and I feel like I belong in some ways, but in some other ways I don't. And in some other ways, like I might feel really anxious whenever I walk into the dining hall, I might feel like there are deep social divides. Maybe the academic workload is just too much and maybe almost overemphasize rigor as, as this tool to force upon people. And as, as I engage in Grinnell's power structures, as I'm able to sit on committees, as I'm able to engage in dialogue, as I'm able to go to restorative justice circles, as I'm able to go to your office hours on Wednesdays at 12 o'clock noon on Central Time, <laughs> these are ways that I can take back, maybe not take back, but engage in control, teach myself how to work within a larger community. Um, which is often a practical application of the things that I'm learning in the classroom. Like not only am I getting this this kind of ethereal, well not ethereal, not only am I getting more abstract knowledge um, imparted to me through faculty walking me through what it's like to be educated and texting me and giving me worksheets and assigning readings and hosting great discussions, I'm also practically thinking about how do the decisions I make and how do the decisions college make affect myself and my peers and how do they shape us as we go out into the world. And how do they shape our thinking towards Grinnell as alums? Wow, because um, of course the the you know the other question and um, that I think about is you know um, whether it's you or others you know we have this marvelous student government association and I'm sitting here thinking where is that in the strategic plan right so I had the president of the student government association come when we spoke about community as well and I love how you characterize SGA as you said advise the college advocate for students and I'm just thinking about how what education allows you to do right it allows you to, to yeah advise and um and advocate and this is at grinnell and beyond grinnell and i you know what's a, what's behind a lot of um my my inquiry when it comes to strategic planning is to identify those things that strengthen our mission um and then to ensure access across across the institution so i want to get back to um, the the point you made about all the different constituencies that are here and one of the ways that I think about all of us all of us at the college is in the simultaneity of being constituents and caretakers and there's one other place where I see that happening and that's in a democracy right we are both constituents of a democracy and by voting by sometimes protesting, by legislating, advocating, we're also caretakers of that democracy. If you don't vote, you're not taking care of your democracy. Um, and, and there are many ways, many, many ways of, of taking care. And so in that simultaneity of being constituents and caretakers of the institution, um, we, we come forward into what has been called beautifully by the authors of a book called The Post-Pandemic Liberal Arts College, productive restlessness, productive restlessness, that even though here we sit very far away from anywhere else, which was absolutely the design and the intent of the 19th century, right? Far from Sin City, put them, put them in the countryside. Um, we are absolutely 
of course, connected to the society in which we live. And that productive restlessness is is really more the way of being than um, a calm idol far from the madding crowd. And so I think about education as productive restlessness in what you're saying. And, you know, again, productive restlessness as opposed to the kind that drains your energy or makes you feel like you don't belong. And I, I want to keep working. You know, we've, we've done, oh my goodness, our time is almost up. Um, we've done a lot of work together tonight, but I want to keep thinking about what are those moments of productive challenge and what are those moments of exhaustive challenge? What are those moments of productive restlessness and exhaustive restlessness? And that's that really connects, Joyce, with what you were talking about. Advising is really setting up the best challenge for that student and finding out and the student taking ownership of that challenge and then and then connecting that to the loving labor um, of the liberal arts to, to keep it to keep us committed to that ac academic endeavor. So. A last thing that I wanted to touch on here was actually um, in terms of educational excellence and continuity, and I, and I really appreciate um, the expansiveness of our conversation because we've been in and out of the classroom kind of throughout our, our discussion, and I really appreciate that because on a campus like ours, I do think that there's learning in all different spaces. Now, you know, only some spaces are graded, others are not. And yet, um, they're all educational spaces. And I keep thinking about, again, access to all of those. I think a lot about our centers, Wilson Center, Rosenfield Program, the incredible opportunities that they present. Um, I think a lot about our residence halls. That's why I'm excited about the new downtown um, student residence and its community engagement element. Um, I haven't mentioned athletics, but that's probably another space of you know education, again, non-graded spaces are still educational spaces, especially I would say at Grinnell. I wanna kind of end with one little story and get your responses to this to this little story. Um, and it's because of because of our conversation this evening. So, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a medievalist by training and, um, and I was fascinated when I learned this particular episode of the late or early 15th century. Um, because it's one of the many birth stories of education. So you could argue that education begins in ancient Greece. You know, they're walking up and down the academia. They're asking each other questions. You could, um, you could point to, uh, you know, moments of Roman history for the birth of education. But this is the medieval French birth of education, which is this. Um, there's a king. His name is Charles VI. And he suffered from um, some kind of a very severe mental illness in which, or, or, or yeah, in which he would go into another state um, and um, suffer from what contemporary scientists called the glass delusion. He would start to think that his limbs were made of glass. And this was extremely disorienting for the French court who had believed that the king was chosen by God to lead his people. And all of a sudden, here's a king who can't lead and yet chosen by God. And it really kind of broke that understanding because it, what it did is insert a very productive doubt that just said, well, maybe God isn't choosing the king. <laughs> maybe kings can be made or kings can be taught. And right after Charles VI, starting with Charles VII and moving forward, there starts to be the education of princes. And what they do is they go back to Aristotle and they go right into values, prudence, uh, you know, magnanimity, um, all these. It's kind of the first general education curriculum, really. So what I wanted to add, what I wanted to finish on, and we have very little time, but is your response to that, what I think is a very captivating, it's a tragic story because of the suffering of Charles VI, but this idea that that character is an educational element versus something that is God-given or genetic or, you know, anything that, that doesn't take the labor of education. And I'm just curious to, to hear from you both what you see about the Grinnell educational experience that you think is related to character, to building that character, to building that understanding of self in the world. And I get to ask you that question as an alum, Joyce. <laughs> I love your, you know, trivial questions that you like to ask, Anne. This is great. My one hour um, a week. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so incredible. 
Well, your story reminds me again of, um, it actually reminds me of the disability, right? It reminds me of notions that we attach to people who are disabled as being less than or not able to contribute to, right? I'm actually going to take a different tack with your story. And, um, you know, again, part of the work that we need to do is finding Hmm. what we can learn from each person. And I know that at that moment, they felt like they needed to say, okay, King, now we're going to put you away and we're going to educate the princes and sort of move forward. But but anyway, that's part of what your story makes me think of. It's great. But I do think, but I do love that. um, And I do really do believe that we can, we can foster all kinds of things as people. We're we're very malleable, right? Mm. But we have to be very careful about which set of traits we think we want to foster with our students and what are the gifts that students are already bringing to us that we're not even recognizing because we've already decided as an institution what are the what you know what are the character traits that we think that we want granolians to develop so this is this is the the scary part of the power that we hold as an institution is uh where are we gonna take those things um and and before i conclude i just i want to get back to a slightly earlier question you asked about educational spaces Mm. that we shouldn't be losing track of right but our educate our residential location right our location is rural right we are in the middle of everywhere and a lot is happening there we're residential for a reason and it isn't just as a place to live, right? This is a place to learn. And I'm just deeply um, uh, awed by the, the the parts of our campus who are interested in looking at what education they are providing, right? And our, and our student affairs colleagues are doing mm-hmm. deep thinking about what is the residential curriculum that they are offering to our students. Um, and I know other areas of campus are doing that same deep deep look. So I'm glad that you're talking in this whole area about education broadly and not just what's happening in the classroom, because I don't think students separate that much, quite frankly. Yeah. I mean, my sense is Ashton's giving me an interesting look. I'm curious what he says, but <laughs> uh, I have a feeling that, you know, we, we experience ourselves as whole people and we are learning some things in a very structured setting of, of a class and we're learning many other things in other settings. And that radiance of the classroom out into the rest of, of campus. And, and thank you for that phrase of educational spaces. And also thank you so much for reframing. I don't think I'll tell the same, I don't think I'll tell that story the same way. Because you're you're so what could we have learned from Charles the Sixth? You're right. You know, that, I really thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, Ashton, then what what do you what do you think? Yeah, I think that's a very compelling story. And I'm very drawn to, to Joyce's point about labels and about the fact that as an institution, Grinnell has an immense power to label things as being valuable, label things as being necessary. And I think Mm. that my Grinnell education (laughs) has taught me anything. It's that behind labels like like prudence, labels like magnanimity, there are power structures that benefited from those things that wish to continue that. Maybe it benefited the French court to have a capable king so that they can continue to enforce feudalism upon the people of France. And <laughs> we want to be careful about the values that we choose to inculcate, which is why I'm again drawn, perhaps this is too simple, I'm drawn to this idea of agency, of empowering people to be able to choose themselves what it is. And I think that beyond that, as we talked about, there are certain basic, there are things that society demands. There are things that people who have been trodden underfoot for far too long really, really need everyone else to engage in like diversity and inclusion work, like intentionally recognizing the power structures that have marginalized people in an oppressive way for centuries and choosing to uproot them. Um, And I think that balancing that with agency and with freedom is an incredibly difficult choice or an incredibly difficult tension to maintain. So I commend you for for grappling with these things. And and I don't envy you because I think you're going to be (laughs) grappling with them long after I'm out into the world. Well, and, I'll, and I, I will be doing so with many, many partners, cherished partners, as the two of you are. And we are five seconds away from the end of our show. It goes quickly, and I'm going to cede the time to the next fabulous um, KDIC uh, uh, radio broadcast, which will come later. But Joyce Stern and Ashton Naveling, thank you both so, so very much. Um, copious notes, much thinking. And I, I have to say, I feel... Um, 
very energized and restored when I speak with, with dear colleagues like the both of you. So thank you for this time. Thank you for these ideas. And yes, let's, let's go once in future Grinnell um, into our future. Take good care, both of you, and thank you so much. Bye-bye.